0: I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Aaron Kesselheim, an Assistant Professor in the Division of Pharmacoepidemiology and Pharmacoeconomics at Brigham and Women's Hospital and Harvard Medical School. Dr. Kesselheim has co-authored a prospective article on the recent Supreme Court ruling on patents for diagnostic tests. Dr. Kesselheim, we'd like you to walk us through some examples of what's been patentable in the past and what is now patentable First, you note that laws of nature themselves are not patentable, but at some point the courts decided that one could patent the use of such a law in an inventive process. And this led to a proliferation of patents in the healthcare field. Can you give us some examples of patents that fell
1: into this category? Sure. First, uh, let me say it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I think that one of the key questions that the Supreme Court has struggled with in the area of patent law over many decades has been trying to balance this question of what is patentable uh, regarding medical processes. It is fairly clear that laws of nature, abstract ideas, and other concepts are not patentable, although any process that a, a inventor might want a patent certainly would have these things involved in them. Any work or any uh, inventive steps in you know, developing a machine or developing any kind of device is going to use these laws of nature. So it's uh, it's been a struggle for the court to try to draw a line between what is a patentable process and what is a law of nature. So... One of the ways that the court tried to set down a rule to distinguish a patentable from an unpatentable process is by claiming that a patentable process is one that creates a useful and concrete result, and an unpatentable law of nature doesn't do that. But that's turned out not to be a very good distinguishing rule because any process can be written in a way so that it, it creates a result. So as a result of announcing the, these kinds of rules um, in the last couple decades, the number of, of process patents sought for in the medical realm has uh, exploded because savvy patent attorneys have figured out ways to, to write medical processes so that they describe useful concrete results. So there have been patents over diagnosing disease on the basis of results in genetic tests, patents on uh, modulation of enzyme pathways, and all of these kinds of patentable processes are arguably, you know, natural facts and, and natural occurrences that a, an enterprising researcher has discovered, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a patentable process that has been uh, man-made.
0: The courts then developed the machine or transformation test. Can you explain what that meant? What sorts of processes it was seen to cover and what sorts it excluded?
1: Sure. The machine or transformation test was derived out of a case actually not in the medical field. And it was described as a way of trying to draw a better line between what is a patentable and what is not a patentable process. And what it basically said is that laws of nature Uh, and other abstract concepts, natural phenomena may be patentable, but they are only patentable when they are integrally involved in a uh, man-made machine or lead to a process that leads to a transformation of matter from one state to another. And that merely stating the law uh, or law of nature wouldn't be enough to get a patent. So uh, theoretically, a patent that describes the process of diagnosing Alzheimer's disease on the basis of uh, identifying genetic mutations X, Y, and Z would not necessarily be enough to meet uh, either of those prongs of the test. So it tried to exclude those patents that sought to cover merely natural Discoveries or, or or natural correlations that might end up being too broad and covering too much of the basic materials of research, and and in that sense, preventing progress of science, which would be the opposite of actually of what the goals of the patent system are, which are to, you know, increase experimentation and increase progress of of science. And uh, the thought is is that anything that wasn't tied to a particular machine. Or led to a specific transformation of matter um, would be just too general and, and, and too diffuse to be patentable.
0: The recent decision in Mayo Collaborative Services versus Prometheus Laboratories, which is the case you write about, means that to be patentable a process must now involve an inventive and novel application of a law of nature beyond well understood routine conventional activity previously engaged in by those in the field. Can you interpret this uh, court ruling for us? What's now excluded and what is included?
1: Well, this is an incredibly bold court ruling in that it goes against uh, a great deal of thought over the last couple decades in the process field. Basically, it had seemed like anything would be patentable as long as you could write it in a way that it would describe uh, a process of going from point A to point B. And now, what the court has said is that if the, the process on which the patent is sought is merely a, a, a natural correlation um, or one that exists in nature, and the human element is merely usual and conventional activity that's not going to be patentable and that has direct implications for a great deal of patents in the medical field over discoveries particularly in in diagnostic methods whereas in the past it has it had it had been clear that it might be that it would be patentable to patent a process of diagnosing parkinson's disease on the basis of a genetic test or the a process of affecting bone resorption by modulating a certain enzyme pathway. Those kinds of natural correlations or already existing rules of science that an enterprising researcher happens to discover, uh, this court ruling, and, and it was a, a unanimous court ruling, now says uh, are, not going to be, are not going to be patentable at all.
0: You refer to an earlier case over a patent covering the association between an elevated blood homocysteine level and the diagnosis of vitamin B12 or folate deficiencies. And you note that the ruling in the recent Prometheus case would have applied there. Given that that patent was upheld, do you think the case will be revisited?
1: Well, this is a really interesting point because these very issues that were discussed in the Prometheus case came up about six years ago in in the case that you're referencing, which is the LabCorp versus Metabolite case which was a case about a patent that described a method of diagnosing a vitamin deficiency by discovering that a patient has an elevated homocysteine level. And that was the the process um, that it described, and that was the patent that was issued. And it came up to the Supreme Court, and there was a great swell of interest by intellectual property lawyers and by uh, entrepreneurs and by the uh, industry about whether or not this case might be a watershed case that would lead to the, uh, the, the you know changing in, in the fields of what might be patentable. Uh, and the, the, the court, though, uh, after it took up the case and heard the oral arguments, made the very atypical decision to decide not to rule on the case, leaving the patent intact. Um, Justice Stephen Breyer wrote a, a very vigorous dissent in which he argued that this case should be uh, evaluated and, and, and should be overturned because all it does is describe a natural correlation. And now six years later, Stephen Breyer, who wrote unanimous majority opinion in, in Mayo Collaborative Services v. Prometheus, finally got his chance to make his perceptions uh, into, into the law. So, but the question of whether or not this case will be revisited is probably not uh, by virtue of the court refusing to grant cert. Or going back on its on its earlier decision, refusing to grant cert six years ago, uh, the patent ended up being upheld. Under the current Prometheus ruling, that patent is probably not not valid. Um, although at this point, it would take another sort of de novo challenge of the uh, of the patent in order to uh, in order to invalidate it. And it's unclear if there's any any interest in any of the parties who might be affected by the patent to do that.
0: Are you concerned about the effects of the Prometheus decision on innovation or Is it not true innovation to begin with?
1: Well, I mean, I think it is innovation. I mean, obviously, it's very innovative work to discover a correlation between metabolite, drug metabolite levels and uh, activity of a drug, and it's obviously very innovative to discover that a uh, particular uh, gene sequence is, is linked to a particular disease or to discover that modulating a, a certain enzyme pathway can, um, can lead to you know clinical effect down the road. So all of these are extremely innovative. I think the question is whether or not um, the existence of a patent accurately or, or actively uh, incentivizes innovation that that leads to these discoveries, or, or or whether the patent, the existence of a patent that might be obtained after the fact, only serves to um, make things more difficult because then the twenty year period of intellectual property control um, might prevent others from working on the same pathway. Um, so I I think that in in the cases of these. You know very basic science correlations and discoveries I, I don't I don't think that the promise of a patent is what is motivating um, many of the researchers in this field um, and I think that, you know, weighing the risks of the patent and the risks of this, of this monopoly right, you know, I'm not sure that allowing po- uh, patents in this area is, is good policy. And, and actually, by restricting uh, this area from patenting, we might actually get more innovation down the road because these barriers are not, are not in place.
0: If the Prometheus decision does reduce industry's incentives to explore new biomarkers, for example, you recommend increasing public funding. For the development of biomarkers how likely do you think that is to happen
1: well i mean i think that it's always hard to encourage uh congress to spend additional money but i I mean i think that one of the ways that can both promote innovation and discoveries in this field but not um, with the the burden that might be imposed by uh, by getting a patent is to devote additional government resources and public resources to researchers working in this field. Ultimately, I think that that kind of work is again the the essential. Discoveries that then lead to improve patient care, that then lead to potential discoveries of of drugs or other devices that might uh, that might modulate those those discoveries. I mean, this is the essential uh, essential science that we need to um, to to continue to to grow our understanding of of research and 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 clinical care. So, I mean, I think that devoting greater uh, public resources to it is an extremely important public policy goal. And I mean, I think that there are plenty of other places where, you know, in, in healthcare spending that can be that can be made more efficient in, in terms of spending on research or, or spending on stuff that doesn't, isn't proven to work and doesn't have good evidence behind it. And, and even a little bit of extra money towards, uh, towards these discoveries in basic science can help catalyze a lot of, uh, of future um, progress and, and work in the field.
0: You've also been following another patent case that's been working its way through the courts relating to the patents that Myriad Genetics holds on the BRCA DNA sequences and their use in evaluating susceptibility to cancer. The Supreme Court sent that case back to the appeals court. Can you tell us a bit about those patents and give us an update on the case?
1: Sure. That's an extremely interesting case. And um, the Myriad Genetics case basically involves two different sets of patents that the company Myriad holds on uh, the BRCA genes that uh, are useful in determining susceptibility to breast cancer. They hold patents on the the sequence of the genes themselves, and they also hold patents on the use of the gene sequences in diagnosing enhanced risk of breast cancer by comparing those gene sequences to, to other gene sequences. So in the original case, The court threw out the patents on both of those different aspects of the intellectual property. On appeal, the uh, Court of Appeals upheld the gene sequence case, but also held that the method patents uh, were not legitimate. And at the time that the Prometheus case was decided, the Myriad Genetics case had had a, um, an appeal put up to the Supreme Court. So with the decision in the Prometheus case, the Supreme Court sent the Myriad case back to the Court of Appeals of the Federal Circuit uh, to tell them to re-examine the case in light of the new decision. And, and what the outcome of the Prometheus case means is that those... Method patents that Myriad held that were challenged and had been found to be invalid are now almost definitely going to fa- be found to be invalid and upheld as invalid. And so those method patents that describe the method of diagnosing risk for enhanced risk for breast cancer on the basis of of these uh, genetic markers are are probably going to be upheld as being as being invalid.
0: Are there other? Patent cases underway that are likely to have important implications for medicine, for healthcare?
1: Actually, the um, next big patent case that many observers think is going to come to the Supreme Court is going to be the Myriad case on the basis of the patents on the underlying DNA itself, um, which is not a method patent, but a, a product patent that describes the patent on the on the genes. And I think it's going to be a really interesting case because you know, in the Prometheus decision, the the court made um, very clear statements that they thought that these natural discoveries and these uh, natural correlations are n- are not supposed to be the subject matter of patents and it'll be interesting to see whether or not they apply the same reasoning to the natural discoveries of the of the DNA that underlies the the breast cancer risk and applies the same reasoning in that they use in method patents to this product patent. So I think um, there is always you know one or two, uh, patent-related cases that come before the court each year. Uh, the Myriad case is probably another year or two out from reaching its way back up to the Supreme Court. But I, I think the n- the next big case bef- uh, related to patents before the Supreme Court is going to be the question of whether or not uh, DNA sequences, um, as, as in the Myriad case, are patentable.
0: Thank you, Dr. Kesselheim.